Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi everyone, let me begin with one of the profoundest sayings of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It is a call to an all-in discipleship. Mark 10, 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and your treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Let's pray together. Father, once again, open our eyes to behold wonderful truth out of your word and tutor us in a worthy discipleship unto Jesus. For this we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the movie Back to the Future Part 3, Marty McFly and Doc Emmett Brown time travel back to the Wild West of 1885. To return back to the future, they needed the speed supplied by a train traveling along Cowson spur. And Doc told Marty that up to a certain point along the trek, they would hit the point of no return. After that point, there's no turning back. In discipleship, there is a point of no return. And after that, there's no turning back. You are fully committed all in. Remember the familiar Sunday school song? I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The problem with discipleship today is that we keep turning back. We keep turning back. Discipleship is, to echo Eugene Peterson's words, the long obedience in the same direction. And to do so, we must cross the point of no return and embrace an all-in discipleship. This idea of a point of no return is not just for discipleship. In 1981, I got married to Anne, it was a point of no return. In 1994, Anne and I adopted Amanda. It was a point of no return. In 1996, we adopted Belicia. It was another point of no return. One thing these points of no return have in common, they were distinctively all-in decisions. Likewise, in discipleship, we are called to an all-in discipleship. When I wrote A Certain Kind, I asked Pastor John O, oh, the senior pastor of Sarang Community Church in Seoul, Korea, to write an endorsement for the book. He kindly endorsed the book and said, A Certain Kind is a must-read book. It will walk you through and urge you to take necessary steps in discipleship training to raise up discerning and mature lay leaders. And then he added a personal endorsement of the altar, which provoked and challenged me in a positive way. He said, Edmund Chan is a committed and passionate evangelical church leader in pursuit of expanding God's kingdom. His life can only be described as all-in for disciple-making. All-in. When I read that, I said to myself, that's what I want. An all-in discipleship to Jesus. It's not how I see myself or describe myself, but it's certainly what I aspire to. Today, I want to talk to you about all-in discipleship from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 34. 
the whole narrative comes to us in three parts. The first is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. The second, Jesus' teaching and mentoring of his disciples. And the third, Jesus' prophecy of what's ahead of him in Jerusalem. Now, in these three parts, we find three essential marks of all-in discipleship. It is a discipleship to Jesus that is marked by three things. One, it is an all-in discipleship that is valued above all treasures. Two, esteemed above all relationships. And three, vindicated beyond all doubts. Let's explore them one at a time. First, all-in discipleship is a discipleship that is valued above all treasures. It's about what captures our heart. In verse 21, Jesus said, you lack one thing. It is fascinating because it was said to someone who apparently lacked nothing. It was an interesting encounter. Mark chapter 10 tells us Jesus was going to Jerusalem and a young man came, ran after him and knelt before him. This impressive young man had everything he wanted in life. Mark chapter 10 verse 22 tells us he was wealthy. In a parallel passage in Luke chapter 18 verse 18, it tells us he was powerful, a ruler. In another parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19 verse 20, it tells us that he was young. Think about this, young, rich and powerful. He seemed to have the perfect recipe for human happiness. He has what the world says will make us happy. And he wasn't just young, rich and powerful. He was young, rich, powerful and righteous. He has studied the law carefully and kept it conscientiously. <laughs> He's the kind of guy all Jewish mothers wish their daughters would marry. Young, rich, powerful and righteous. And he was humble as he came and knelt before Jesus. He wasn't an entitled spoiled brat. And on his knees, he asked Jesus a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. It is a term without parallel in the Judaism of Jesus' day. They simply did not use such an address when speaking to men because the Jews understand that God is good and they avoided using the word good for people lest they be guilty of blasphemy. So for this young man to say good teacher, he was saying something quite staggering. It is like in my home, Anne would say, don't use the word awesome for trivial things because only God is awesome. Now, Jesus, in reply, quoted to him six of the commandments. And this rich young ruler replied that he has kept this from his youth. Teacher, he said, verse 20, all these I have kept from my youth. Been there, done that. Mark then tells us Jesus loved him. Now, we know that Jesus loved all people. So why state the obvious, the redundant and the unnecessary? Why specifically say, and Jesus loved him? 
it is simply to indicate to us that the tone of Jesus was love, not one of condemnation. In other words, Jesus wasn't out to make life difficult for him in the reply Jesus gave to him in verse 21. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Can you see that? Three things actually. Go sell all that you have. Second, give to the poor. And the third, come follow me. Did you catch that? Jesus said, one thing you lack. And then he tells him three things to do. But here's the actual answer. It's too easy to miss. Don't miss it. It's in just two words. Follow me. The other two, go sell all you have, give to the poor. They are simply modifiers. Actually, they were added to expose his heart, particularly his heart's treasure. Oh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler had everything but one thing he lacked. He didn't have Jesus. One thing he lacked. And so Jesus pointed out to him, this is what I want you to do. You have fulfilled the commandments, great. But if you really love God with all your heart, which is the first commandment, then you come, sell all you have, give to the poor, follow me. Because that's the one thing missing. Verse 22 says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he has great possessions. He didn't hear very carefully the answer. All that captured his attention was, go sell all you have. I can't do that. Go give it all to the poor. I can't do that. And he missed the idea, the commandment, the call, the invitation, follow me. Why? Because that's the key to eternal life, to have Jesus. As far as this rich young ruler was concerned, the trade-off was far too great to give up everything he had for the one thing he lacked wasn't worth it to him. It's so sad. He was so close and yet so far. In her book, Things As They Are, Amy Carmichael told the time she met an Indian queen in her palace. The queen was spiritually hungry. She kept insisting that Amy tell her what is necessary for salvation. The queen was zealous to discover the truth and determined that the answer should neither be delayed nor deflected. She said, I must know, I must know it now. At her insistence, Amy read to her what the Lord said about himself and about following him. And then Amy Carmichael journaled the queen's response in these sad words. As verse by verse we read to her, her face settled sorrowfully. So far must I follow? So far, she said, I cannot follow so far. The queen was so close, yet so far. She was spiritually hungry, just like the rich young ruler. But here's the greatest flaw. Like the rich young ruler, they both couldn't see what their true treasure is. It is so easy to confuse surplus for security. In this narrative, we learn something about following Jesus. An all-in discipleship 
It's a discipleship that is valued above all treasures. Don't love the world nor the things of the world. It's not worth it. There's a second essential mark in an all-in discipleship. And that is, it's a discipleship that is esteemed above all relationships. That's from verse 26 to verse 31. Now, in verse 28, Peter told Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Here's the background. Jesus took this teachable moment to mentor his disciples. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, it says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 24 says, And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is using a hyperbole, a graphic exaggeration to make a point. He contrasts two things. The camel, one of the largest animals in the Middle East, and the needle's eye, the smallest hole. And he says it is impossible for the camel to go through the needle's eye. But is Jesus saying that rich people won't go to heaven? No. Rather, he is saying it is easier for the impossible to happen than for the rich to go to heaven based on their wealth. Now, in verse 26, it says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? You see, it's especially shocking in a culture that assumes that a man's wealth indicates that God is pleased with him and that God has bestowed special favour upon him. Now, in verse 28, Peter then began to say to Jesus, See, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus did not say, well done, old chap, good on you. No, Jesus took it as a teachable moment to mentor his disciples and said something precious to them. Verse 29, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my namesake, for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. And then he added, verse 31, and many who are first will be last and the last first. In other words, there will be a grand reversal in God's kingdom. You see, within this context, it's not just about wealth and houses and land. It is a discipleship that is esteemed above all relationships as well. It is not about loving others less. It is all about loving Jesus most. Don't have unworthy loves at the centre of your life. Love Jesus and love Him fully. 
Because that is in essence what true love is. Imagine a husband at his wedding promising his bride that he will be faithful to her for the rest of his life except for one day a month. Will his bride accept that? No. Why? Because his love for her wouldn't be esteemed above all relationships. And Jesus is looking for that kind of love relationship, a discipleship that is above all extreme relationships. Oh, don't give your heart to unworthy loves. If you have a relationship right now that is not pleasing to God, you are coming to a point of no return. You are coming to a point of a crossroad. You are coming to a point of a decision. Would you choose a relationship that is not pleasing to God or would you choose the relationship with Jesus the Christ in a discipleship that is an all-in discipleship? you got to choose. And your choice will determine the treasure of your heart. Your choice will determine your true condition of your heart. Your choice will determine what kind of discipleship you have whether it's a discipleship that is no turning back or rather a discipleship where you keep turning back. Now here's the question you've got to ask. How do I know if it's a relationship, whether it's pleasing to the Lord or not? That's a very simple test. Does the relationship draw you closer to God? Does it draw you closer to God or does it draw you away from God, away from the Word of God? You have to choose. Because my friends, I tell you the truth. Right now, there are many Christians, even in Christian leadership, who can say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to serve Jesus. But they may be having relationships that is not pleasing to God. You have to choose. Don't let the fatal attractions of this world confuse you or deceive you. Because the things of this world do not last. The things of this world do not satisfy. And yet if we treasure them, whether they be wealth, houses and land, or, or whether they be relationships, father, mother, children, or any other relationships. And Jesus was pointing out father, mother, children because he's talking about the most primary, fundamental relationships. He calls us to Extreme Him higher. Why? Because Jesus is worth it all. Don't let our hearts be captured by fatal attractions of this world. Have this all-in discipleship to follow Jesus. Finally, the third essential mark of an all-in discipleship, it is a discipleship that is vindicated beyond all doubts. We find this in verse 31 to verse 34. It's all about what validates our faith. In verse 34, Jesus says something very staggering. He said, and after three days, he will rise. Do you hear that? After three days, he will rise. Notice how the entire relationship or the narratives begin with an irony that relationship with Jesus, the disciples had, they were walking with him. They were on the way to Jerusalem. Suddenly, a rich young ruler came, ran towards Jesus, fell on his knees and asked him a pressing question. Oh, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. 
But this rich young ruler came to him asking how to live. Jesus was on the way to give his life. And this man is asking how to have life. Can you see the irony? He has come to the right place. He has come to the right person. And this rich young ruler had everything but one thing he lacked. He didn't have Jesus. So what makes Jesus so special? Verse 32 tells us that as they were going to Jerusalem, the disciples were amazed and those who followed him were afraid. Did you catch these two words? They were amazed. Verse 32, they were afraid. Why amazed? Because Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now what's so amazing about that? Because Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem. He was walking towards his death sentence, but he walked with such steady steps. He walked with such steadfast focus. They were amazed by his intentionality. He was walking ahead of them. Why were they afraid? Not because of the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen in Jerusalem. It was the opposite. They were afraid because they knew with certainty what was about to happen. Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem, towards a death sentence. So in verse 33, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And after three days, he will rise. Now notice he did not say after three centuries he will rise. You just wait. No, he did not even say after three decades he will rise. You just wait. No, he said after three days they will know. Now here's the question, why three days? Why not after 24 hours? Because the Jews in Jesus' time have this idea that when the person dies, where the corpse is, the spirit of the person, the ghost, as it were, lingers around for three days. And after that, it's gone. It's a point of no return. There's no way this dead man could arise. He is completely, totally dead. And so Jesus said, three days, just watch it. Three days, he will rise. After all hope is gone, after death is certain, after there is a foregone conclusion, Jesus said, three days, I will rise. The resurrection of Jesus is so important. It is so important that for our church 40th anniversary, I volunteered to preach the anniversary message for two reasons. One, because the 40th is a significant year representing one generation. And two, because I have one message for the next generation. And the message is this, don't drift from the foundation of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I gave credible reasons for believing in the resurrection of Jesus. If you want to know the reasons, check out the 40th anniversary message. And it's so important, perhaps it should be in every church membership class. You cannot get more foundational than this. The whole of Christianity is rooted upon the resurrection of Jesus. He is alive. He is risen. There is no fear of death because Christ is risen. The resurrection gives us a faith that is vindicated beyond all doubts. Beyond all doubts of who Jesus really is and that Jesus really saved.
Mark chapter 10 teaches us the most important spiritual truth. That salvation is a gift of God in Christ Jesus. And apart from Jesus, it is beyond human ability to secure it. In Acts chapter 16, we have the account of the Philippian jailer who asked the same question as the rich young ruler. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that's what the jailer did. He believed on the Lord Jesus. Salvation is in Jesus alone. All our wealth cannot purchase it. All our works cannot earn it. All our power cannot attain it. All our efforts cannot reach it. All our associations cannot charm it. All our religiosity cannot win it. All our philosophy cannot grasp it. All our wishing cannot claim it. All our pursuits cannot reach it. And all our zeal cannot secure it. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. It is the gift of God in His Son, secured by faith, evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Carly Krofcheck, a young social media director, retold a familiar story. I want to close with this story. There once was a fabulously wealthy man who loved his son above all things. To stay close to his son, they began to build an art collection together. By the time the Vietnam War broke out, they built one of the rarest, most valuable collections in the world. A letter came one day informing the son that he had been drafted. The son went off to war and he wrote his dad every day. One day, the letters stopped. The father's worst fear were realized when he received a telegram informing him that his son was killed while attempting to rescue another soldier. About six months later, there was a knock on the door. A young soldier with a large package under his arm said, Sir, you don't know me, but I'm the man your son saved. As he was carrying me off the battlefield, he was shot and died instantly. Then the young soldier held out a package and said, I know this isn't much, sir, and I'm not much of an artist, but I wanted you to have this drawing that I've done of your son. Now, this drawing of the son was just a regular drawing, not something worthy of an art gallery. But the father hung the portrait over his mantle. When visitors came to his home, he always drew attention to the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other masterpieces, he pointed them to the portrait of his son. Now, when the father died, news went out that the entire collection was being offered at an exclusive private auction. Collectors and art experts from all around the world gathered for the chance of purchasing one of these masterpieces. The first painting on the auction block was the picture of his son. The auctioneer pounded his gravel and asked someone to start the bidding. None in the sophisticated crowd was interested. The auctioneer persisted. Who will start the bidding? 200? 100? Who will take the son? 
Finally, a voice on the back said, I bid $10 for the son. The bidder was none other than the young soldier the son had died saving. And the soldier said, I didn't come to buy anything, and all I have is $10, but I bid it all. The auctioneer continued seeking a higher bid, but the restless crowd began to chant, sell it to him and let's get on with the auction. The auctioneer pounded the gravel and sold the painting of the sun for a bid of $10. Oh, finally, on with the auction. But just then, the auctioneer said, the auction is now officially over. The surprised crowd demanded to know how the auction could possibly be over. And then the auctioneer said, When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a stipulation in the will that I could not divulge until now. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. Whoever has the Son gets it all. When God gave us His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God went all in for us. God went for brooks all in when He gave us His Son. And the one who has the Son has it all. To the rich young ruler, Jesus said, One thing you lack, follow me. To Peter who said to Jesus, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus replied, You will have everything in this life, yes, including persecution. But hereafter, you shall have life eternal. And to those who followed him with uncertainty and fear, Jesus said, don't worry. In spite of the circumstances, I have power over it all. And with it, he prophesied that he will rise the third day from the dead. And he did. And through it all, Jesus simply said, follow me. Follow me. It's an invitation. It's a privilege to an all-in discipleship that is valued above all treasures, esteemed above all relationships, and vindicated beyond all doubts. For the Saviour who calls us to an all-in discipleship went to the cross and died for us. For at the cross, Jesus went for brooks, all-in for us. At the cross, Jesus went for brooks, all in for us. Would you bow with me and pray? Lord, we open our hearts before you and before your word to ask that our eyes be lifted up to the cross of our Saviour. For you did not just call us to an all-in discipleship with no turning back. You sent your son who went for brooks for us all in on the cross to die for our sins that we might have life. And Lord, now we pray that our faith, our gratitude and our love might be unto him. Rooted upon the power of the truth that Jesus had risen from the dead the risen Lord, the risen Saviour. My friends, as you bow before the Lord, don't be like the rich young ruler, so close and yet so far. Come to Jesus.
come to a point of no return in following Him in all in discipleship of full commitment unto Him. For some of you who have not prayed for Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Saviour, I want to give you this opportunity. I want to give you this invitation because salvation is in none other, the Bible says, except in Christ Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who gets the Son gets it all. How do you have the Son? By faith. How do you have that faith and express that faith? By a simple prayer. And I want to lead you in that prayer. It's a simple prayer that says three things. Sorry, thank you, please. If you are ready, pray this prayer in your heart with me. It's a simple prayer. It says, Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, please come into my life and save me that I might have life eternal. If you have prayed this prayer in your heart, sorry I'm a sinner, thank you for dying on the cross for me, please come into my life, Lord Jesus. The risen Lord steps into your life and change you. He is the Saviour who went all out for you, all in. He went for brooks at the cross to die for you, to die for me. Don't harden your heart anymore. Don't be so close and yet so far. Come to Jesus today and say, Lord, come into my life and change me. Give me life eternal. And if you pray that prayer in sincerity in your heart, God answers that faith, steps into your life and change you and give you life eternal. Now, for the many of you who are Christians, don't have unworthy loves, unworthy treasures, unworthy relationships. Come to Jesus. Follow Him. No turning back. All in, in your discipleship with Jesus. You ask, how is it possible? It's only possible when our eyes are not on the circumstance, not on ourselves, not on others. When our eyes are on Jesus, the one who went all in for us. And when our eyes are upon Him, upon the resurrected Saviour, we have the joy and the power of the risen Saviour. He is alive. He walks with us and empowers us unto a discipleship that is truly valued above all treasures, esteemed above all relationships and vindicated beyond all doubts. Come to Jesus this day and say, Lord, take my eyes off the circumstances of unworthy loves, unworthy treasures, and focus my eyes unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who went all in for me. May the Lord bless you in the discipleship, and all in discipleship, where there is no turning back. Father, thank you for hearing this prayer, and bless us, dear God, with a joy of following Jesus in an all-in discipleship with no turning back. For this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
those of you at homes and in your small groups, in your Zoom meetings, I'd like to give you two discussional questions for you to discuss. The first, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Now, if Jesus loves him, why didn't Jesus chase after him? Discuss that. If Jesus loved him, why didn't Jesus chase after him? Second question, what would be our greatest motivation for an all-in discipleship? Why? May the Lord bless you as you discuss what it means to truly follow Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning for our worship service. For those of you who do need prayer or might have questions, kindly scan this QR code here and we'll get in touch with you. Allow me to close us with God's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a wonderful week ahead with Jesus. God bless you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.